Welcome to Coach House Talks. Hello, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. Due to the recent changes we're experiencing in response to the coronavirus outbreak, we're adopting different methods of sharing the weekly message. While being mindful of our personal safety, these changes should never affect what's truly important in our lives. God continues to be with us, and that is the truth, even when we cannot see it. Let's now take a short moment to pray for the week. Dear God, we know that you see our troubles and anxieties. You see our hopes and dreams. You see our plans, even when these plans seem to fall apart in recent times. Please help us, both physically and spiritually, to get through this season. We don't know how long this outbreak will last. We hope this will end soon. But we also know that we need to be realistic and understand that we are limited as we are in what we can do as humans. God, we believe that you are a God who has power even now. Please grant us peace and wisdom. If it is your will, please heal those who have suffered or have been affected. Please comfort us when we are lonely and confused. Please calm us when we feel frustrated. You have a plan that we may not fully understand at this time. Your ways are greater than ours, so we pray that you grant us patience to endure however long these changes may last. Please help us to honor you this week by being mindful of the local laws, of others, and of our personal safety. Please continue to have a hand in this situation. In your name I pray. Amen. So, even if we are adopting different methods of sharing the message, we should still keep to our usual schedule. Last week, we were reading through Acts 21. Today, we'll be exploring Acts 22, Paul's testimony in Jerusalem after he was arrested by the Romans. In the previous passage, Acts 21, we saw Paul in a bit of danger. His old enemies came along to the temple at Jerusalem and convinced the city to beat Paul to death. He was rescued by the Roman soldiers in the form of an arrest, but Paul insisted on speaking with the Jewish mob outside. He was accused of many things, of being a heretic who taught against the law, of being a defiler who brought Greeks into the temple, and of being an Egyptian terrorist who led a revolt. Well, he was not any of these things. So in chapter 22, he wanted to give a defense of his actions and, at the same time, take the opportunity to explain and share the gospel he was given. So we'll first read Acts 22 now, and then we'll go through it once more in summary while picking out some key points. So let's now read Acts 22. Brothers and fathers, Listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew 
born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he is not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you trying to do? he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. 
Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. The main theme here in Acts 22 is that it is important to be wise to your circumstances and to use whatever resources that are available to you in the best possible way. In this chapter, Paul is in Jerusalem. In Paul's defense to the mob in this passage, he speaks to them in Aramaic. He brings up his Jewish background and follows a very common um, speaking pattern known to the people of ancient times. This speaking pattern is simply a self-introduction that describes your birth, childhood rearing, and education in that order. And Paul follows this pattern through. He spoke as a Jew to the Jews, establishing his upbringing and learning. Again, as part of the major theme of Acts, this here is a show of knowing your audience and laying down common ground in order to make a connection. Although he was born in Tarsus, outside of the Promised Land, he was brought up in Jerusalem and at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest Jewish teachers and scholars of the time. He goes on to list his credentials, establishing himself, at least on paper, as one of the greatest spiritual elites of the generation. Someone of Paul's status and Jewish heritage would not be someone who would suddenly teach against the law or defile the temple in any way. Here he is refuting every point of accusation brought up against him by the people step by step. Only then does he begin telling the story of his experiences against the followers of Jesus Christ and then his conversion. Here he brings up his time as the chief persecutor of the Christians. The mob in front of him had tried to kill him in a crazy, chaotic act of passion against blasphemy. But Paul is saying here, yes, he too can understand these feelings of rage against blasphemy as a Jew. Not only that, but Paul understands these feelings against blasphemy as someone who spearheaded a movement specifically to kill heretics. After all, he goes on to say that he was someone who already organized a campaign in the truest sense and killed many followers of Christ under the official approval of the high priest and the council of the Jewish elders. He did not just persecute a blasphemer or two, no. He tossed both men and women into prisons and killed the rest who didn't have the option to enter the prisons. In all of this, Paul is revealing his decisive judgment, his zeal for the truth, the preservation of what he knew to be true, and his absolute obedience to the Jewish spiritual heritage. For these people, to have this kind of experience and to recite this kind of account would have been a badge of honor, of undying glory. Of course, it would have been the same for Paul back when he was Saul. But by the time Paul is standing before the people 
and recounting his experiences, even remembering this experience of killing the followers of Christ would have been his eternal shame, his witness to self-righteous rebellion, to murder and violence. This was later brought up in the Bible and highlighted in his letters to the Corinthian church and Timothy, specifically 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9 and 1 Timothy 1 verse 13 to 15. Anyway, Paul then reveals his supernatural experience on the road to Damascus, where Jesus speaks to Paul in a vision, blinds him, heals him, and changes his life. Paul's testimony here is saying that he still served the one true God. Paul even recounts an experience where he returns to Jerusalem before his trips and prays about his future direction. He wanted to stay in Jerusalem instead of going on a missionary journey. He prayed to God about it. He pointed out how useful his testimony to Jerusalem would be because of all his common ground with the Jews. He wanted to insist on staying in Jerusalem to serve the Jewish people, to focus on spreading the word to the Jews. And sometimes in life, we find ourselves preparing to do something on our terms for good reasons. We may be good at doing that something, whatever it may be, so we want to continue doing it or to further commit ourselves to it. It sounds pretty logical. If we have advantages, then why not make use of those advantages? These advantages can be your education, background, personal innate talents, or what looks to be fortunate opportunities. Paul had a combination of all those advantages. He was a spiritual elite. He had influence amongst the Pharisees. He knew the law better than most, and anyone who was a practicing Jew might as well bow down to him due to his reputation and ability. Of course, Jerusalem was the land of his ancestors. Why wouldn't Paul stay in Jerusalem and minister to the Jews? It makes a lot of sense. But Paul says, Jesus said no. Jesus denied Paul's request to minister to where Paul thought he would serve best. Jesus redirected Paul's ministry away from Jerusalem. God knew Paul would make an impact on his missionary journeys in a much more significant way than Paul would ever expect. Despite all the advantages that are readily available to Paul if he had stayed in Jerusalem. Sometimes God's plans do not make sense to us. Actually, it may be that God's plans do not make sense to us most of the time. But Paul obeyed, and we should too, especially with the current situation that surrounds us. So the Lord said to Paul, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Gentiles. Up to this point, the crowd of Jews were listening to Paul's testimony. They were listening intently to every word that was being spoken. We know this because this passage states that when Paul said that God sent him away to bring the message of salvation to the Gentiles, they tore their clothes and screamed, 
for Paul to die. These Jews didn't mind listening to all this talk about Jesus. They didn't mind listening to Paul's background or persecution. They didn't mind listening to his conversion, but they could not stand listening to Paul's claim that God dared to direct his messengers of salvation away from Israel. They would not listen to any claims about God offering salvation to both Jew and Gentile in the same way. This was the turning point. For Paul to declare that God saw Jews and Gentiles as equals in the most important way possible, in the eyes to the path of salvation, was a death sentence in the eyes of the Jewish mob in this passage. After all, the Jews were the chosen ones. The Jews were the master race, and anyone who was not a Jew was a filthy heathen, born of a different race and language, born in condemnation. They're speaking of us, me who speaks now, and you who are listening to this message. Filth we are, the audience before Paul would say. How dare we claim to receive a path of salvation? How dare Paul claim that God cares about us, a race condemned and unclean, a race that was not separated since the beginning of the world, a race that has no bloodline relation to the Savior that would rule the world and right the wrongs of every system? But Paul does claim this. This one lonely man standing before the chosen ones, speaking with integrity. If we believe the path of salvation is open to us, and the Son of Heaven died so that we may have full rights to be adopted into his family. Returning to the passage, the Roman military at this point was still policing the area. In the previous passage, in chapter 21, they already intervened once to stop the Jews from beating Paul to death. They gave him a chance to explain himself, in which Paul took the opportunity to explain himself properly to the Jews again, as seen here. Then, when the Jews erupted into a frenzy, the Roman commander ordered Paul to be taken back into the barracks and explain what was going on. Paul needed to be examined. In Roman terms, for ordinary Jews and everyone else who weren't Romans, this meant a flogging and then an interrogation. In practical terms, this meant a beating until Paul confessed to the crimes he was suspected of. It would have been a beating so severe that Paul could have very well died that day, right there and then. Died before answering anything about the riots? Died before having finished writing the letters we now call the Pauline epistles? So before Paul could die, just as he was being bound for that very punishment, he said, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who was a Roman and uncondemned? What his question meant in today's language is, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been on trial yet, let alone being found guilty? Paul here reveals his Roman citizenship at the most critical time. The soldiers, the centurion, and the commander's reactions were immediate. It was absolutely prohibited 
to bind a Roman citizen without a trial, let alone beating him. The commander himself came and asked Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And stated that the commander himself had to pay a large sum for the citizenship. The commander was very likely someone who received his citizenship recently, during the reign of the current emperor of the time, Claudius. He would have had to work his way up through the ranks and pay off high-ranking administrators to ensure his citizenship and status. In short, it meant he had to pay a lot of money and time and effort to become a Roman citizen. Paul, however, just says, but I was born a citizen. Paul was someone who was at least the commander's social equal, if not superior, because of how Paul's Roman citizenship was passed down through his father's generation and possibly before. The commander, on the other hand, would have been seen as an inferior first-generation Roman citizen. Paul's status as an individual, as someone living during the Roman Empire at the time, was incredibly rare. He was born a Roman citizen, he was educated by some of the most honored rabbis at the time, and when he had grown up, he was devout to the point of spearheading some of the most significant persecution campaigns in the New Testament. Paul's use of his Roman citizenship is a show of wisdom, not just in theological truths, but also in the local laws and customs of the world we live in. It's not wrong to learn more about what's going on in this world. It's not wrong to study up on the laws of the country. And it's absolutely not wrong to study about other cultures and governments. No, we know through this passage that it's wise to be intelligent, to make use of the laws that are there to serve the people. We may belong to a heavenly kingdom, but we also spend a considerable amount of time, say, our entire lives on earth. It's good to study and understand. After all, we can help save lives, inform others, and share truth wherever we go. Take a look at Paul in this passage. The commander is obligated under Roman law to have charges if the Roman military insists on keeping a Roman citizen in custody. Their previous methods can no longer work on Paul. They cannot beat a Roman citizen. They cannot force Paul to confess falsely to crimes he did not commit. So the best the commander can do is assemble the Jewish council and the chief priests to listen to Paul's defense once more. The Roman commander released Paul from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and the council to appear the next day. Here the chapter ends with another incredible opportunity for Paul, one where he will have the chance of a lifetime, the opportunity to preach to his old colleagues. The chapter ends here, and I think it expresses to incredible extent that we must face both self-reflection and trials in our own lives with wisdom and integrity. And that is the story of Acts chapter 22. Be mindful of your circumstances. Keep yourself safe and understand that God has a plan, even when it seems like the whole world is in disorder. God gives faith to those who are scared. And our duty is to act wisely 
and remember where our source of confidence comes from. Let's finish off by reading a short passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.